Well, you know, you, you wonder sometimes what it would take for the Republicans to actually want to fight on anything. You just wonder sometimes what it will take. Now we have a we have a stopgap, of course, passed by the House and the Senate now on to words to Biden to sign to fund the government now through February. And now we can have the fight again in February. And you just wonder, you know, I heard Mitch McConnell was out there having meetings with Joe Manchin. And I said to myself, here we go. Here we go with this guy. It is never ending sticking his nose out, weaseling his way into these negotiations because he always gets his ass kicked around by Pelosi and Schumer anyways when it comes to the debt ceiling. And so here we go. Now we're now we're funding the government to February. He's like a stunt double for Republicans. Like he, he's not he's not a real. Here's what it would take for Republicans to stand up and fight a real Republican in the in, in the party. You know, me and Paul were talking about what's going on in Australia with these internment camps they have set up for people. I wonder if that when that comes here, I wonder if that's is there like a line in the sand for them there? Maybe. No. Well, that no, no, he, he's going to be inside the camp and be like, look, we'll just go. They said it's only for the weekend. OK, you go ahead, Mitch. Let us know how it goes. Right. They'll be punching pie right. there. Go ahead. Right. Take a load off. You'll be fine. Is there anything they'll use, anything they'll use to actually unify and fight against something that the Democrats want, whether it's keeping the government open, spending? There's just nothing. There's nothing. The RNC as an organization is so beyond corrupt it, between the, um, you know, the RNC and the intelligence community. They're as bad as the they're just they're just as corrupt as the, uh, you know, as the uh, as the Democratic Party. Some of the Democrats stick together in their versions of Marxism and uh, Republicans just try to get rich and sell us down the river. It's really unbelievable. Leaves us without a party. Yeah, it's just it's just unbelievable at a time. That again, you have an abysmal jobs report that Paul will get to here that comes out this morning. You have this rise in violent crime all over the country that we're all seeing. You have a surge in COVID cases, a president who told us he was going to shut the virus down, not the country. Well, we're heading right back pretty soon. We're going to be heading to some version of a shutdown. I would almost guarantee it. Um, You've got all geopolitical things over the world, which, by the way, I'm going to bring your attention back to some of it tonight because we're getting lost in all of what's going on here. And you're forgetting what's going on around the world. Russia about to move on Ukraine, China on, on the move as they always are. We have all the wrong people in place to deal with it. You have inflation running wild, gas, price, gas prices out of control. Shelves, I mean, you're feeling it. We, I gave you the poll yesterday. What is it, 60% of Americans saying it's really becoming a problem in their lives? And... Um, Republicans are still Republicans. You know, Chip Roy, again, I've said this before. I know people in Texas, sometimes they send me emails saying, ah, he's not as great, Damon. You know, you keep showing him. He's not there. I don't hear anyone else fighting. I don't hear anyone else standing up and saying, we should, no one should vote to fund the government if it's going to include vaccine. I don't hear anybody else saying it. I hear him saying it. I see him voting no. And I guess there's others, but they have enough votes to pass it. You know, and the person who sent me an email last night telling me Kinzinger is not a... I understand that, but it passed the House and the Senate is my point. They all voted. So Kinzinger, Cheney, Collins, Murkowski, they're all, you know, all one and the same. Romney. And all the ones you don't know the names of because they're, they're you know, they stay, they stay kind of below the radar. But, you know, there, there's not... There's not 
Kinzinger and Cheney, they're not responsible for 80 votes. There were 78 others who joined them. On the vaccine database. Right. Yeah. Well, they needed 10 in the Senate to get to 60 for this, uh, for the funding till February, I, be- I believe, is what they got. So it now goes to Biden. Obviously, he's going to, so we're going to kick the can down the road with nothing. And they get nothing for it. And February will come. And again, what, what's, the, um, what's the catalyst in February for them to actually stand up and say, okay, we're not doing this unless, <laughs> uh, what is it? What is it? You won't That'll get make pay? them finally stand up and say, well, nothing. They just got us all desensitized to know what's coming. It's like they're taking the bandaid off slowly instead of just yanking it off. And- yeah. All right. Live from Studio 6B. Glad you're in. Paul's going to have news. Rick Delgado's here. He's going to have what even is that tonight? What is that about? It has to do with uh, our very favorite actor, Alec Baldwin. Okay. Ooh. Gio said to me it's going to um, get some conversation going here on the show. So yes. that always and, gets uh, me a little Rick nervous. Probably Rick Delgado fired. <laughs> no, I doubt that. <laughs> Nothing will do that, I don't think. Uh, Rick Emirati's got sports. How are you? Big right. win last night. Yes, big win. So you're big feeling win. good? Yep. Well, you know what today is? It's the odds maker time. Yep. What, do I, what did I lose? Oh, I lost <laughs> wow, both you lost damn both birds. birds. Man. Wow. Well, we're going to have to up the ante. I checked my year-end bonus, and we're going to put some big money on the games tonight. (laughs) Well, this is, I mean, this is is the weekend to do it. You've got all your college championship games. Yep. You've got good teams playing good teams, so you can narrow down your lines. So if you're ever going to raise the stakes and take the lead here, this would be the weekend to do it, in my opinion. We're rolling large tonight. Okay. So we'll get to all your picks, college. For the weekend and pro for the weekend. Yes. We we'll will. get to those oh, in the odds makers coming up. We've got um, Vice President Mike Pence tonight. I'm going to show you his interview in its entirety with David Brody that he did on, um, on CBN. We've aired here. You've only seen it, I believe, most of it here on Real America's Voice. I'm going to show it to you tonight at the bottom of the hour. It's fantastic. David Brody's as good as interviewing as anybody. Anybody I've ever seen. As good as Joe Rogan? He is good. Well, it's different. Yeah, I'm just kind of kidding. Different. No, Brody's great. He's just... But excellent. And uh, some things you'll hear from the vice president that you haven't heard much from him since, obviously, um, you know, he's taken a lot of grief, even from conservatives, about what he did with the election, and you'll get his side of it. And if, you ha- if you've seen it, well, you're going to see it again. If you haven't seen it, it's worth the watch. That coming up at the bottom of the hour here on a Friday night. Glad you're in. Geo Fran holding it down, as always. Well, let's get to what, I guess, the biggest news, one of the bigger stories of the day. Jobs reports, uh, obviously a good story. Uh, Biden yeah. spoke today. That's a story. But the parents of this, um, well, I want to watch my language, so I don't want to call him what I want to call him. Uh, but the shooter in Michigan, now the parents are being charged. So what's the story here, Paul? So uh, the parents of the alleged uh, 15-year-old Michigan high school shooter charged with involuntary manslaughter. The prosecutor on fr- Friday followed involuntary charges against the parents of the 15-year-old Ethan Crumbly, who earlier this week alleged killed four students in Oxford High, injured many, many more. A prosecutor, Karen McDonald, says the actions of the parents went far beyond negligence. Yeah, because this is, I mean, this is, yeah. to see this is something else. And we have the prosecutor. She laid out the case today, G. You have her, roll it. The investigation into the school shooting incident at Oxford High School, which occurred on November 30th, 2021, has revealed that James Crumbly purchased a Sig Sauer 9mm model SP-2022 from Acme Shooting Goods in Oxford, Michigan on November 26, 2021. 
A store employee confirms that Ethan Crumbly was present with James at the time of the purchase. Per statute, James Crumbly completed ATF Form 309A, 5309A. On or about November 26, 21, Ethan Crumbly's social media posts reveal photos of the semi-automatic handgun, along with the caption, just got my new beauty today, including an emoji with hearts, Sig Sauer 9mm, any questions I will answer, end quote. Subsequent to the purchase of that weapon, one of Jennifer Crumbly's social media posts on about 11-27-21 read, quote, Mom and Sunday testing out his new Christmas present, end quote. On November 21st, 21, a teacher at the Oxford High School observed Ethan Crumbly searching ammunition on his cell phone during class and reported the same to school officials. Jennifer Crumbly was contacted via voicemail by school personnel regarding that son's inappropriate internet search. School personnel indicate they followed that voicemail up with an email but received no response from either parent. Thereafter, Jennifer Crumbly exchanged text messages about the incident with her son on that day, stating, quote, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught, end quote. On November 30th, 21, the morning of the shooting, the next day, Ethan Crumbly's teacher came upon a note on Ethan's desk, which alarmed her to the point that she took a picture of it on her cell phone. The note contained the following. A drawing of a semi-automatic handgun pointing at the words, quote, the thoughts won't stop, help me, end quote. In another section of the note was a drawing of a bullet with the following words above that bullet, quote, blood everywhere, end quote. Between the drawing of the gun and the bullet is a drawing of a person who appears to have been shot twice and bleeding. Below that figure is a drawing of a laughing emoji. Further down the drawing are the words, quote, my life is useless, end quote. And to the right of that are the words, quote, the world is dead, end quote. As a result, James and Jennifer Crumbly were immediately summoned to the school. A school counselor came to the classroom and removed the shooter and brought him to the office with his backpack. Counselor obtained the drawing, but the shooter had already altered it. The drawings of the gun and the bloody figure were scratched out along with the words, help me and my life is useless. The world is dead and blood everywhere. Those were all um, altered by him. As the meeting, at the meeting, James and Jennifer Crumbly were shown the drawing and were advised that they were required to get the sh their son into counseling within 48 hours. Both James and Jennifer Crumbly failed to ask their son if he had his gun with him or where his gun was located and failed to inspect his backpack for the presence of the gun, which he had with him. James and Jennifer Crumbly resisted the idea of then leaving the school at that time, of, of their son leaving the school at that time. Instead, James and Jennifer Crumbly left the high school without their son. He was returned to the classroom. When the news of the active shooter at Oxford High School had been made public, Jennifer Crumbly texted to her son at 11.22, I'm sorry, at 1.22 p.m., quote, Ethan, don't do it, end quote. At 1.37 p.m., James Crumbly called 911, reporting that a gun was missing from his house and he believed his son may be the shooter. Further investigation revealed that the six-hour nine-millimeter handgun purchased by James Crumbly 
was stored unlocked in a drawer in James and Jennifer's bedroom. The gun recovered from the shooter at the school after the shooting was the same gun that was purchased by his father, James Crumbly, on November 26, 2021, in the presence of his son. Based upon the foregoing, the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office requested and received um, authorized, we charged four counts of involuntary manslaughter as to James Crumbly and four counts of involuntary manslaughter as to Jennifer Crumbly. So here, here, so here's my question of that whole story, <clears throat> part that stuck out to me the most. They had him in an office with his parents at the school with the picture that the teacher took on his cell phone. The parents decided to leave. How does somebody get to school not make sure he's off campus? How does he get back into a classroom? I don't care if he didn't want to or not. What, what is, the parents were asked to get him into, she said the parents were asked to get him into something in 48 hours. They left, and he didn't go with them, but yet no one thought to just say, well, you're going to go, and that's, it. that's all there is to it? How does he get back to a classroom? We'll talk about that when we get back. All right, 17 past the hour, live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. Glad you're in. So let's get back to the story from the prosecutor in Michigan because there's a part of that video, like I said before we go into break, just jumps out at me. So I had Gio in the commercial break cue this back up. So let's just listen to this part one more time. G, roll it from where I told you to. Were advised that they were required to get the sh- their son into counseling within 48 hours. No, okay, Both so just stop for the. And- so let me just reset this. They're sitting... I believe she said they're sitting at the school in the guidance counselor's office. The guidance counselor has a picture that the teacher took of the note. Um, he has then, since he, I guess, got called down, erased some of it or tried to change some of it. His parents Doctored. are sitting there. Right, he doctored it. He's sitting there. I'm assuming the principal's there, the teacher's there, the guidance counselor's there. And so they say to the two parents who are there with the kid, and the gun's in his backpack, though they don't know it, I guess, at the time, and they never check. You have to get him into counseling 48 hours. Okay, go ahead. Jennifer Crumbly failed to ask their son if he had his gun with him or where his gun was located. Okay, stop it. And failed- did, any, did anyone from the school ask? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good question, too. Why, why would it just be the parents? Right. Should, the, the school should have been like, hey, uh, we see this picture here, and you seem to really be fond of guns and looking for ammo. Yeah, do you, do you have, have a, gun? a gun currently on you? Or do Is you there- own a gun? How right. About- if, if even if they don't know that the father just bought this, the, certainly the father knows he bought it. Yeah, and he's sitting there. Yeah, this is on the parents. But 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 you're right, Dave. I think the school should have should have been proactive and be like, "Hey, do you have any firearms on you at this time? Maybe in your mm. locker? Do you want us to that's go easy through Monday it? morning quarterbacking that one? I just think this is on the parents, squarely on the father. Well, that's and why mother. they got charged. So go ahead, G. Roll the rest of it. To inspect his backpack for the presence of the gun, which he had with him. James and Jennifer Crumbly resisted the idea oh. of then leaving the school at that time, of, of their son leaving the school at that time. Instead, James and Jennifer Crumbly left the high school without their son. Okay, stop. So this is where I have a problem. 
Uh, how does that happen? That's the, the parents resist the kid leaving the school. I, I mean, as a former teacher and, ha and having a wife who is a current teacher in a high school, there have been <laughs> kids have been asked to leave school for their shirt being too short. Kids have been asked to leave school and forced to leave school for way less than what must have been going through the mind of all these people involved having seen that picture in this situation. The parents objected to the kid leaving school and the school was okay with that? Well, it's crazy. No. You gotta you gotta look at it from this side too. You're only you're only getting that part of the story. You don't know the conversations they were having. Maybe they were asking them questions. Oh, mom, I was just you know I was just doodling. I really didn't mean it. You know, once kids get into that mode, and then it's like, well, uh, I guess he says he didn't mean it. Yeah, we, we think he's okay. He says he doesn't mean it. Um, another question I think which would would really help fill this in is was this kid on any medication? Well, They'll never discuss that on mainstream media. No. Now, the, the other thing we should say about this, obviously, right now, is that the fact that the parents are now missing. That's a, that's a little kernel of info that adds some. What do you mean intrigue? missing? The parents are missing. Were they were they arrested? Yes. This broke earlier this afternoon that the parents are now missing. They the police. Have not... The police are currently searching for them. Yes. Really? The as of this afternoon, they are. As of this afternoon, the police have been searching so, for the parents. So just to back it up, right, this, I, I personally, this has got to be squarely on the parents, in my opinion, the father, obviously. It sounds to me like these are the type of parents who are so desperate to be liked by their incorrigible kid, right? They're moody, depressed, angry. They'll do anything to connect to him, I suppose, for them to defend him and say he should stay here, he's fine. What I need so much more on everything that led up to this before you could truly make a real assessment of what's going on here, because this sounds to me like just absolutely brutal parenting and the complete disconnect from the reality of where their child is at. I don't and disagree with we're that. Af we're afraid of these hard conversations with our kids. And that's the pro it's a major problem that parents are so afraid of confronting their child because uh, they don't want the chasm to grow even bigger. I mean, I don't disagree with that. But ha again, having spent 14 years in a public school system, I can tell you, I was part of times where administration and maybe the teacher of the classroom at the time walked a kid out of the building with the door locked behind him and put him in a car or a and waited for a parent to come whether they liked it or not. That part of this just seems a little strange to me that they were able to get over and say no, no, we don't want him to leave. And the and the and Especially somehow such disturbing artwork. Yeah. I mean, that is just dis that's disturbing. Yeah, that that was willing to be accepted by the school. I and, tell you. And then there's the you know, like you mentioned, Paul, with the parents, you know, which you know makes a lot of sense. But also maybe you know, let's face it, this kid obviously. It seems from the drawings, you would think he's been having some issues for a while. This they knew he was new. having issues. They figured, you know what? We got him the gun. He's happy now. He's happy. He'll, he'll be better in school. Maybe he'll be happier around, around everybody. Yeah, he won't be as talk. depressed. That's why we don't want to take him out because that might make him depressed. Let's make sure he stays in school and, and you know, not, not kind of point the finger at him and get him in trouble. Who knows? You yeah, don't know, but they're, so much, but they're playing with, the, with, with his psyche at that point. There is so much... Right, but we they don't didn't know. I'm sorry, Paul. They didn't say they objected to the 48 hours get him into help. They objected no. to him leaving school that moment. 
And how the, right. But that's where the school absolutely has to override him. Be like, yeah. No. You're yeah. gonna take the rest <laughs> yeah, of the day take, home. You gotta take him now. Exactly. <laughs> that seems out. That seems unbelievable to it, me. It, no, put your foot down. It, out. It's like closing time at the bar. Look, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Something. I mean, I I, I really hope um, we get more understanding of the bigger picture of this and an honest look at it because this is this speaks to so much this speaks to how sad and how depressed children are today the epidemic rates this mm-hmm. speaks to lockdowns this speaks to over medicated children this speaks to a failed school system this speaks to everything and the the, the real target here will be you know handguns the real target here will be the assault on your second amendment and when pharma or you know there's so many things where this falls blame on. Um, it's, it's, it's very disturbing. All right, we'll spend some more time on this. Plus, we have the vice president coming up. Let's do some sports uh, here with Rick Amorati. What's going on, pal? Uh, big big winner. Here's a story that ties right in. Michigan to honor Oxford High School shooting victims during Big Ten title game. This is from Victor Barbosa of Yard Barker. When the Michigan Wolverines football team take the field on Saturday to face the Iowa Hawkeyes in the Big Ten title game, they will be honoring the victims of this week's Oxford High School shooting. Oxford is an uh, exurb of Detroit, located just over one hour northeast of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Members of the team will have a special logo on their jersey to honor all victims, survivors, and community members of the Tuesday tragedy. The shape of the logo will be in Oxford's block of... Inside the logo are the initials TM and the number 42, followed by four hearts. TM stands for Tate Meyer, a 16-year-old student athlete on the football team who died after reportedly rushing the gunman during the shooting in an attempt to protect his classmates. Tate, Hannah St. Juliana, Madison Baldwin, and Justin Schilling, the Wolverines program said on social media, whose lives were senselessly lost earlier this week, are represented by four blue hearts. Michigan and Iowa are scheduled to kick off at 8 p.m. tomorrow night. So, great story out of Michigan honoring uh, the falling victims of the uh, shooting there. I thought that was just unbelievable. Yeah, that is so, a good one. Good for them. Just yep. for that, they should win. And uh, Yahoo Sports, I just want to go over real quick. Tony Pollard, Cowboys, snap losing skid with a win. Last night, picked up my five G's, cut my losses <laughs> down a little bit, and uh, Cowboys amid a COVID-19 outbreak. That sideline, their head coach, Mike McCarthy, came out and won 27-17 on the strength of a 58-yard Tony Pollard sprint to the end zone. Great run. And the Cowboys also intercepted Saints quarterback Taysom Hill four times, including a pick six by Dallas lineman Carlos Watkins to seal the deal in the Dome last night. We're going to have our picks a little bit later, Big D, and we're going to up the ante. I'm feeling good about things here. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you cut it in half, so I can yep. see why you're feeling good. So and this is a big weekend, college football big. and pro football. It's a huge weekend, so... You could come back here Monday and be, I mean, you could come back here Monday and be up easily. Big. Yeah. Big. Big. Yeah. All right. We'll see. We'll do the picks coming up in hour two. Our own David Brody, his interview with Vice President Mike Pence. The election, January 6th. And some of the thoughts of the Vice President right now, where he's at. All coming up in this interview that I think you will enjoy. Right here, live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. Mr. Vice President, great to see you again, sir. Great to see you, David. Thank you. I want to talk about the Supreme Court justices here. If if the Supreme Court justices uh, basically do not overturn Roe v. Wade, do you believe they're going to have blood on their hands for that decision? This is a moment. 
of extraordinary promise for the American people. That's been nearly 50 years in the making. When the Supreme Court made the decision in, in Roe versus Wade in 1973, most legal scholars uh, understand that, that the recognition of a right to an abortion the Constitution of the United States was manufactured out of whole cloth. Mm -hmm. And it represented a massive um, intervention into state policies. And, uh, and, and, but in the time since then, we've seen a consistent march across this country toward the right to life. And in my remarks today, I, I reflected on the, the progress of pro-life legislation. This year alone, there have been 500 pro-life bills introduced in the Congress and in state houses around the country. And, and I truly believe that with the new conservative majority on the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, we have a profound opportunity to have a new beginning for life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remain very hopeful mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, that not only Justice Clarence Thomas and Justice Alito uh, but the three justices that our administration mm -hmm. appointed will see their way clear and recognize that to uphold the Mississippi law, by definition, I believe, mm -hmm. would necessitate that they overturn the essence of Roe versus Wade mm -hmm. and, and return this issue to the states and the American people. You and I have talked about this before, the disappointment, those are your words about John Roberts, that he has been a disappointment. How concerned, how worried are you about him? I have been disappointed in the Chief Justice mm -hmm. from time to time. But on the issue of life, he's shown some consistency mm -hmm. that gives me hope that there's a possibility that the Chief Justice could join. Uh, the five members of the conservative majority on the Supreme Court to give us a fresh start uh, for life. And I, I, I yeah. have to tell you, you know, during the course of our administration, President Trump had me interview all of the finalists for the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. I was able to spend time uh, with uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Um, and Justice Neil Gorsuch before they were appointed. Right, you feel confident. And I, I will tell you that they are men and women of integrity mm. and conviction and um, I'm just gonna be joining a great, great chorus of Americans that will be praying that they have the courage to seize this moment for life. Joe Biden calls himself a devout Catholic. He is a pro-abortion Democrat. Many will say the most pro-abortion president we've had in this country. What does that say to you about Joe Biden? And you've always used your faith in abortion as an, a pro-life position. He's taking the exact opposite view. What does that say to you about him specifically and what he talks about when he talks about being a devout Catholic? President Joe Biden is leading the most pro-abortion administration in American history, which sadly follows the most pro-life administration in American history. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to look at uh, at Joe Biden's career in the Senate, where for decades he supported the Hyde Amendment, which bans taxpayer funding of abortion, and now to see his administration proposing and supporting an overturning of the Hyde Amendment mm -hmm. and taxpayer funding of abortion, I, I think is a betrayal uh, of, uh, 
of aspects of his uh, career that uh, were admirable, but have have now been set aside uh, as he as he does the bidding of the radical left mm -hmm. uh, that's in charge in the House and in the United States Senate. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I must tell you particularly, I, mm -hmm. in the early days of 2020, I had the privilege of spending time with Pope Francis mm -hmm. in Rome. Mm -hmm just as President Biden did not long ago. Right. Of the hour we spent together, Pope Francis and I, we happened to be meeting on the day of the March for Life in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and we spoke for half of our time about the Pope's support for the right to life in America. Mm -hmm. I find it hard to imagine that Pope Francis didn't raise the issue of the sanctity of life mm -hmm. in that meeting with President Biden. But look, the American people yeah. uh, see this administration uh, for what it is. I mean, it's uh, uh, whether it be the uh, open borders, the worst crisis on our border uh, in American history, whether it be inflation at a 30-year high, supply chain crises, or the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. In one way after another, the Biden administration is failing the American people. That's why. We are now looking to the Supreme Court of the United States mm -hmm. and the conservative majority that the Trump-Pence administration was able to see appointed mm -hmm. and confirmed that court in the hope of giving us a new beginning for life. Very nice. Because yep. we, w we won't get that from the most pro-abortion administration in American history, which is the administration of President Joe Biden. Uh, we have limited time, so I, I need to ask this question. It's the first time you and I have seen each other since January 6th. I gotta tell you, my inbox blows up. There are millions of folks who are angry at you uh, within the MAGA movement, uh, who say they wanted you to reach some sort of middle ground, maybe kick this back to the state legislatures. Not, not to over, just to look at the envelope and say, I'm gonna throw it out. That's not what they're saying. They're saying there was a middle ground here to send it back to the state legislatures. You didn't do that. Uh, people have called you a traitor. I, I need you to respond to these folks because this is a consistent thing that I hear every single day. I've been very moved mm -hmm. at the level of support that I've been met with, whether it be college campuses or campaigning for candidates around the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, ours is a movement that cherishes the Constitution. And for me, January 6th was a tragic day. Thanks to the efforts of law enforcement, we quelled the violence, we ended the riot. But on that same day, we reconvened the Congress and finished our work under the Constitution of the United States and the laws of this country. And that's not to say that there weren't irregularities in the election. On January 6th, I said that I believe there were irregularities about which I was concerned. And I wanted them to have a fair hearing before the Congress. But from the founding of this nation forward, it's been well established that elections are to be governed at the state level. Mm -hmm. And that the only role the Congress has is to open and count the electoral votes that are submitted by states across the country. Mm -hmm. No more and no less than that. Mm -hmm. And you know, in January of 2017, I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Bible says in Psalm 15 that you, he keeps his oath even when it hurts. Mm -hmm. And on that day, I could relate to that sentiment, but I wanted to keep my oath to the Constitution 
regardless of the concerns that I'm glad to see many states addressing now sure. with reforms from Georgia to Texas to Arizona and states across the country with more work to be done in election reform and election integrity. Mm -hmm. uh, I know in my heart of hearts that on that day, uh, we did our duty under the Constitution. No regrets, no regrets on that day. But, but let me say this, I, yeah. I, I don't know if President Trump and I will ever see eye to eye on that day. Mm -hmm. Uh, or that many of our most ardent supporters mm -hmm. will agree with my decision that day. But I know I did the right thing. And I will always be proud of our record over the past four years, mm -hmm. rebuilding our military, reviving our economy, uh, appointing conservatives to our courts that have brought us to this opportunity to restore the sanctity of life to the center of American law, having America stand tall in the world, stand yeah. with Israel, stand up and take down ISIS and our enemies. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna to continue to tell the story of that administration, contrasting as it is with the failed record of the Biden administration. Yeah. And I'm not gonna allow the Democrats or the national media to use one tragic day in January to demean the intentions of 74 million people mm. who stood with us in our cause. And I'm, I'm not gonna allow the Democrats to use one tragic day in January to distract attention from the, their failed agenda and the failed policies of the Biden administration. We're gonna focus on the future. Yeah. We're gonna stand on the Constitution and we're gonna stand for the liberties and a commitment to life that have always made this country great. President Trump uh, says that the election was rigged and stolen. You said irregularities, so you don't believe it was rigged or stolen, those words specifically. Is this where you part ways with him? There were states across the country that conducted their elections outside of how the state legislatures had approved them. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, and I truly believe that that was properly reviewed in the courts and, and ultimately was passed on. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think it's extremely important in the days ahead that we continue this movement mm -hmm. to pass election reforms, to restore public confidence in the integrity of our elections. Mm -hmm. uh, initiatives like voter ID that we've had in the state of Indiana now mm -hmm. for more than 15 years that was upheld in the Supreme Court are all the kinds of measures that I think will restore public confidence. But at the end of the day, the last thing that you would ever want is for our elections to be managed in Washington, D.C. Right. The founders of this nation debated that at the Constitutional Convention, David, and they rejected it. Mm -hmm. They thought the best way to ensure the greatest integrity in elections was to have elections governed at the state level. And this year you've seen Nancy Pelosi attempt to move legislation that would nationalize our elections. And I've opposed that from the very first day right. of this year. It's important that we preserve state-based elections. It's important that we reform our elections. But at the end of the day, we also have to preserve that framework in the Constitution of the United States, which has a limited role uh, for the Congress to open and count the votes that are certified by the states I believe with the reforms that we have underway, the elections that just took place, mm -hmm. including the great victory in Virginia, you're gonna see more men and women elected across the country in the upcoming midterm elections at the state level mm -hmm. that are gonna advance the kind of election reforms that will restore public confidence and continue to turn our 
nation back to the principles that have always made this country great and strong and will make it strong again. Very nice. As we wrap up, last question. 2024, I can't ask you the 2024 question. I understand it's, it's early, but you're going to New Hampshire uh, later oh, yeah. this month. Uh, so I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. Uh, but beyond all of that, um, what, what is the deal? If, if Trump ends up, if, if Donald Trump ends up running in 2024, I've talked to Nikki Haley about this on camera. I've talked to Christy Nome. Both will say they're not going to run if he runs. Uh, what, what is your view uh, on that at this point? If you thought of, if you were thinking about running, would you not run as well? For right now, my focus is entirely on doing everything in my power to support the conservative cause and win back the Congress and state houses all across this country in 2022. Right. We'll let the future take care of itself after that. And I, I promise to keep you posted. <laughs> but I think every American uh, who, like me, uh, is, uh, is heart sick over the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, mm -hmm. uh, who recoils from uh, the open borders, the crisis at our southern border, who, who sees supply chain issues and rising prices at the grocery store. Now more than ever, we need every American to be focused on electing men and women at the state level and in Congress who will begin the process of turning this country around. And then uh, in the years ahead, I'm confident. I'm confident that our party and our movement will choose uh, the right leaders and, and the right voices to make our country strong and great once again. All right, 13 to the hour live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. Glad you're in. Uh, great job by David Brody, and the pre uh, vice president. and. Um, his thoughts, obviously, on Roe v. Wade and what's going on in the Supreme Court this week, I thought were interesting. You know, the middle part of that, when he asks about the election, and the vice president says, well, you know, we believe in the Constitution, but I, I don't hear a lot of acknowledgement from the vice president and all the constitutional issues that were going on, thanks to Democrat lawyers running into places like Georgia and these dissent decrees that Stacey Abrams had with the Secretary of State or in Pennsylvania. Uh, things that the state constitution was co clearly violated. I think the idea that the founders of the country thought that electors would be chosen in that way and sent to Congress, I don't, I don't think that's in, in line with what the constitution is at all. But I don't hear a lot of talk out of the vice president about that. I just hear kind of more generalized, you know, elections once, they're, once, once the electors are there, no matter how they got there that they can't at all be challenged, but he feels the way he feels about it. I don't agree with him at, at all about it. If he actually believed in the Constitution, I think he would have had a lot more problems with what went on in a lot of these states. And I know he does. He's a, Mike Pence is a solid conservative. Um, has been his whole career. You can disagree with how he acted here or how, what he believes happened here, uh, at least to the extent most of us believe there was m way bigger problems here than he lets on. But so... That's my feeling on that. So, um, all right, let's do some more sports. And here with that is Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? Well, let's roll back to the Friday Night Rodeo uh, 2021 <laughs> Wranglet National Final Rodeo. This is the largest rodeo I've ever reported on. This is in from Las Vegas, from the Thomas and Mac Arena. The purse on this big D, $9,057,000. $48. This is a big one here. Uh, bareback riding, first round. Jess Pope scored 90 and a half points on Nightcrawler. He picked up 26,997.
seven big ones. And steer wrestling, first round, we had a tie. Da- Dirk Tavener and Riley Duval, 3.7 seconds. Each picked up 24,000. Saddlebronk, first round, also a tie. Zeke Thurston on Vitalik's Wyatt Earp. And Chase Brooks on Pendleton Whiskey's Marquee, 88.5 points. Again, $24,000. Tie down roping, first round, Shane Hanshey, 7.4 seconds, 26,997. And barrel racing, first round, Cheyenne Wimberly and Amanda Welsh to a tie, 13.77 seconds. That is an excellent score for barrel racing, $24,000. And last but not least, bull riding, first round, J.B. Morning on Cocktail Diarrhea and Kai Hamilton on Rip. I think those two could go together, Rip and Cocktail Diarrhea. Sounds like, fr- sounds like a Friday night out with Rick Amorati at the oh disco. God, man. That was like yeah. my first trip to Mexico. <laughs> Talk about a run-in. And uh, let's go. Woo. Chase Elliott voted NASCAR's most popular driver for fourth straight time AP report, Nashville, Tennessee. Chase Elliott held on to one of his NASCAR titles last night when fans voted him most popular driver for the fourth consecutive year. Elliott was both the reigning cup champion and most popular driver this season, but he was ultimately beaten by new Hendrick Motorsports teammate Kyle Larson for the cup title. At the season-ending awards ceremony at the Music City Center, the National Press Association declared Elliott winner of the fan-decided most popular award. And he said, I just can't thank the fans across the country enough. I, re- I, I was really mind blown on a few occasions this year of that support and to see it firsthand, you know, I see the t-shirts and all that stuff is noticed. Looking forward to 22 to make all those folks proud. Elliot began his uh, run as NASCAR's most popular driver in 2018, the first year of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s retirement. Earnhardt had won the pop- most popular award every year since 2003. Unbelievable. So congratulations to Chase Elliott. You know, we love NASCAR on the show. And one more big D. UFC president uh, Dana White says he tested positive for COVID-19 after Thanksgiving gathering. This is from Brett Akamoto, ESPN staff writer. UFC president Dana White uh, tested positive for COVID-19 this week and is currently in isolation in his Las Vegas home. He said on the Jim Rome podcast on Wednesday, White 52 said his immediate family tested positive after spending Thanksgiving at a gathering together in Maine. White resides in Vegas, but was born in the Northeast and frequently visits his estate in Maine. Uh, White confirmed on the podcast that he is vaccinated and said he consulted his close friend and UFC commentator Joe Rogan for advice. After his diagnosis, the UFC president said he's already feeling better and wants to attend a fight night uh, event on Saturday in Vegas. White said he called Rogan immediately after his positive test and has taken a a monocular uh, antibody treatment, NADRIP, vitamin drip, and dose of ivermectin. Sounds like a Paul Nolan cocktail. Uh, White said he feels a million, like a million bucks and is working out multiple times per day. He said he temporarily lost his sense of smell, but he's back in action. So good to see that uh, Dana White is doing well. Yeah, very good. Yep. And that's a wrap in sports. Big D, back to you. Okay. Uh, I'm sure he'll be... Um... Well, he'll get the Joe Rogan experience in, in, in a different way. He'll get the Joe Rogan experience. He'll be uh, criticized and uh, demagogued and everything else. Horse-paced. And it's, it's truly stunning to me. Like, you know, when people just act as if Rogan's just some meathead, watch any one of his hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of interviews. He's brilliant. And he's such a sharp guy. Yeah. To act like he's some meathead dope is so stereotypical. We hear the leftist constantly saying Dr. Joe Rogan and they laugh off ivermectin. I mean, we just did the story, you know, two nights ago from the Epoch Times where the 
the doctors had to sue the hospital to let the woman who was dying and failing to take ivermectin has a full recovery. Where does I think that it was her husband. Who, yeah, it was, was her, her husband, husband, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was her yeah. husband. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's and he's back home now. Yeah, the, the, he was down to what, 10, 10 or fifteen uh, percent yeah. lung capacity or something Oof. like that. Yep. Yeah. Didn't have a uh, didn't have a good chance to live. Right. It has nothing to do with money. Yeah. Right. Zero. Yeah. Okay. No, it's okay. And by the way, good for nothing Tulsi to here. Tulsi Gabbard, I saw put out a PSA, kind of a PSA on her own on her own feeds about this new Merck pill. That she says the FDA should absolutely not approve because it tries to do what ivermectin does, but it's it's um, the mechanics of it and how it does it. Um, she put out a really good PSA about the dangers of this pill and how it will end up creating uh, more variants and more, <laughs> yeah, mutations. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. How, how do you well, keep vax. the party going, Damon, unless yeah, you well, create more stuff? Well, at least, think, she's, at least she's onto it because certainly no one else in her party will ever talk about it. Do most of our audience agree that, you know, there really is no, there's no right, there's no Republican Party anymore for the most part, right? Trump we talked about this a, last night, Paul, when you weren't here. I said yeah. Paul says always says this, right? that there's really no difference. Wouldn't it, like, to me, wouldn't it be the greatest thing to see the media ex- heads explode to watch, let's just say, a Tulsi Gabbard like, be a vice president for someone like a Ron DeSantis? Two people who believe in liberty, believe in the Constitution, serve the nation. And now, how do you, how do you now the left who really say, okay, I'm crossing over, all the walkaway people who cross over. Mm-hmm. How, if you had an independent party, and wouldn't it be the ultimate like mind um, f to the entire establishment if they attached her somehow, some way, and just finally destroy this nonsense of the right versus left? It's either you're for liberty and 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 individualism and a constitutional America. Or you're for totalitarianism, or you're for corporations, or you're for being owned and run, and and just a you're just a product for the mainstream media to to move you around any which way they want. We're done with it. We're done with this this nonsense. People are waking up everywhere. Yeah, you, know, you see the guy Straka gets blacklisted from everything because of his walk away movement. Over a million Democrats come over to his part. I mean, seriously. It just doesn't end. The Democratic Party, the Republican Party are in cahoots. It's like pro wrestling. We say it all the time, right, Rick? Yep. yep. They act like they hate each other. And as soon as they're in the backstage, they're shooting each other up with steroids and drinking beers together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and trading wives. What? what? Uh, something like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Getting divorces and who knows. Anyhow. That's a good analogy. Like professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Who's who is Pelosi? Like the Hulk Hogan of, <laughs> <laughs> no, who, She's Lou Albano. Who's <laughs> Yeah, she's the Lou Albano of uh of Congress there. Her face melting away. I was gonna go with Kane. We didn't uh, Paul, you know, we got, if we have time an hour too, Paul, I'll show you Pelosi yesterday. They, a little too many shots, I think, leading up to as her drunk as Kramer her, to her press conference. <laughs> All right, hour two coming up live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. What even is that? Moments away.
All right, live from Studio 6B on a Friday night, wrapping up a great week. Glad you're in. Remember, next week, our friend Michael Curtis is going to join us again with Jay Johnston from the Dallas Cowboys. Is he nice. still with the organization, do you know, Rick? Um, I believe he does do some work with them, but he's not as in up front with the uh, Dallas Wasn't Cowboys. Was he connected to the cheerleading team? Jay Johnson. Yeah, yep. he was the train. He was like the. Um, what was he? Tra- the trainer? He was, yeah, he was the uh, like their um, the, yeah the, the train the dr- almost like the boot camp drill sergeant for them when they uh, were getting ready to begin their season and do their tryouts. They he was pay exceptional. him to train the the cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I would you know, do that their, job. Their strength, I would pay it was like a strength conditioning. Strength coach. And conditioning. Yeah. I would happily volunteer my time for free. Yes, I'm sure you I would. would uh, yeah. Look, I'm a giver. Yes. Yeah, pull um, your hands on. I know. <laughs> I just want to give back to uh, the community. Yeah. The community. That's You're a big all. Dallas fan. I'm not from Dallas. Yeah. I've never been to Dallas. Sure. But I want to give back to that community. So if you're listening, Jerry Jones. I'll do the job for free. Sorry, Mrs. Johnson. <laughs> well, Paul, I'm going to call you on that, Paul. Come on, Paul. I'm going to call you, Paul. I don't mean to be trite here. <laughs> All right, let's do uh, It's time now for one of my new favorite segments here on the show. And that, of course, is Rick Delgado with What Even Is That? All right, Damon. Well, uh, so I know the other night, you know, we played the uh, Alec Baldwin ABC promo for his for his big interview with George Stephanopoulos the other day. But last night was the actual interview. And did you catch it? No, no. <laughs> most people didn't. Uh, but if you did, you would have caught the acting chops that were on full display last night. I mean, it was amazing. Really? Throughout the interview, he smoothly transitioned from composed to concerned, dabbled in weepy, and then right back again. As Hedley Lamar once described, like a whirling transient nodes of thoughts careening through a cosmic vapor of intention. Truly an incredible performance that any actor would need at least a month or so to prepare for. Even Matt Damon would be proud. Matt Damon from Team America. Matt Damon. Yeah, truly. (laughs) After watching this one, one could only think, what in God's name even was that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we all know. It seems like it's a guy who believes he might be brought up on gun charges, manslaughter charges, and is currently being sued by former members of the production team trying to control the narrative. Come on. He's the guy who made fun of Trump. Mm-hmm. Not only trying to use and control the media and how they talk about the case and in the court of public opinion, but also maybe trying to influence a potential jury pool. Ooh. I mean, he actually says in the interview. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So no. you never pulled the trigger? No, no, no. no. And he says I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them. Never. R- really? So, so are you going to say the gun kind of just went off? Well... I did some checking. Easy stuff for any journalist, reporter, or, or even somebody like little Georgie Stephanopoulos could do. I actually Googled some stuff, and here's what I found. That the movie Rust is a period piece. You know, Western, set in Kansas in the 1880s. Now, as we know, they strive for authenticity in these movies. So I looked up what kind of guns might be available in the 1880s, and this is what they kind of look like. Mm-hmm. Weird, huh? None of these guns looks like an automatic or a semi-automatic. They also do not look like they could actually go off by themselves. Every handgun available then is a revolver, which means the trigger would need to be pulled back in order for the hammer to be cocked and released, which would send it towards the bullet, which would be revolving its way up into the chamber to be discharged. Because this is a two-step process to fire this weapon, how difficult is it to accidentally mischarge, discharge it? 
it's nearly impossible. But the, the fact that I would accidentally be able to cock this gun followed by accidentally pressing the trigger, you know, this is starting to build up to be statistically very unlikely. Yeah. So, Alec, Booba, baby, you sure you're going to go with this story? Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. <laughs> then, of course, there's this just days after the incident. Uh, the script supervisor, Miss Mitchell, is even quoted here in the story saying this. I saw Alec going through his movement with the gun for the camera. Yeah, it also reads uh, in the lawsuit that's been filed by Mitchell claiming that Alec Baldwin intentionally, without just or excuse, cocked and fired and loaded the gun, even though the upcoming scene for the movie that they were filming didn't call for the cocking and firing of a firearm. But hey, Alec, are you sure you're going to go with this story? Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. Even though the director, who you also shot, had this to say. And, and check this out. The quote from the affidavit he gave to police uh, director, his name is Sousa, told them Baldwin was sitting in a pew in the church building setting and he was practicing a cross draw, which, you know, is, it's written in the affidavit. It's a cross draw. He kind of pulls across from the holster. He pulls the weapon from the holster on the opposite side of his body from the draw hand. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. <laughs> hey, you know what I know? You know what this is? I think I figured it out. He's doing the old Jedi mind trick. Yeah. Uh, I'm not the Alec Baldwin you're looking for. I mean, seriously, he says he didn't pull the trigger after he said he was waiting for him to say something like, you know, you got to believe me, George. Uh, I wasn't even in that scene. I wasn't on set that day. I'm not even in that movie. Heck, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Yeah. So now the all-out assault begins on the truth. It's on. Get out in front of the friendly media, you know, go to some softball interviews with your friends and cocktail party playmates and try to convince everyone, including the potential jury pool, that nothing to see here. It's not what they say it is and that we should all take his word for it because, well, he's an actor and he's special and he needs to be treated as such. Mm -hmm. It's a typical playbook from the left. Project onto others what you are doing. Take no responsibility for anything you do or have done. You felt shock. You felt anger. You felt sadness. Oh, my God. Do you feel guilt? No, no. no. I feel that there is, I, I feel that, that, that uh, someone is responsible for what happened. And I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. Yeah. And, of course, we're just a day or two away from all of this taking on the new angle. It's all Trump's fault. Oh. Damien. Back to you. <laughs> I, like that. I like that ending very good, very good. that was really good i mean good. i didn't laugh much in it because i was you know horrified <laughs> disgusted horrified i yeah. think it was so good and so right on the money it was you, you, might, on. You, you could be called this could be used by the prosecution if there's a trial because I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> that was great. That That's was how good it was. That was great. Thank you. You because laid was, it out. It's not possible what he says. Yeah, I mean, you and pull the trigger. You guys, and honestly, the, the cuts, the clips, everything about that was great because it's right on the money. You got to the core of it. No liberal will ever take responsibility for their individual actions. Everybody's to blame. Yeah, and the crazy part is there's also a scene in there uh, from the interview where he talks about meeting the husband and the, I believe it was eight or nine-year-old son. And he doesn't cry when he talks about how he's thinking about this kid and how he's not going to have a mother anymore. But 
He does cry when he talks about the first time he, he worked with Meryl Streep. This is all in the same interview. This guy is a lunatic. That's uh, that. Wait, wait, wait. We should address that. That speaks to his narcissism. Yep. That is stunning. You think think about that. He cries over over one thing that's superficial. It, it, it is so superficial. Well, he also says in the interview, I read an article. First of all, I read a couple things that say uh, a couple people said he's going to come to regret doing this interview for obviously oh, yeah. for many reasons. But I also read one that said he said in this interview that he says something about, do you think you'll ever work again? And he, and he starts by saying, you know, I don't know, but, but, but. And then in like the next breath, he says, I'm starting another movie in January. Oh, yeah. Talk about narcissistic. Like, holy wow. cow, this how, guy. How about, can we address this while we're on it? Um, doesn't it look so carefully crafted and rehearsed and choreographed from the, uh, George Stephanopoulos having the questions, <laughs> framing the questions, mm -hmm. making these statements, uh, completely validating his claims, and he, you know, he 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 comes over the top and says it again in such a earnest way. It feels so scripted. It almost feels like if you do it, someone was doing an infomercial. Yeah, well, it is. Right. It's George. It's Where, but it truly looked like they scripted it together. Wouldn't it be wonderful if an investigative journalist could find? Uh, some evidence that they scripted it in such a way that... Oh, you mean if there were outtakes available? That'd be great. Yeah. It's like, email, you know what, let's take that again. I didn't like... Emails uh, exchanged, yeah. You know, I got something in my... I, I don't think I looked like I was crying enough. Yeah, right. You know? I wouldn't put it past them. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a kind of a... If you if you look back, at, if you just sit back and watch it, it it's almost like lunacy is in what he finds. He's like, no, 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 somebody's responsible. And it's not me. Now, meanwhile, you juxtapose that, I can't even say the word right now, um, to the parents of this Oxford shooter. They didn't have the gun in their hand. He did. He doesn't believe he did anything wrong. They, you know, let's face it, they could have done something wrong and they might be held account for it. Well, didn't, but, he, originally, didn't he originally say that, that he, didn't either, he didn't load the gun either, that the person on set who's responsible for that stuff yeah. had loaded it? Because one of his first things, I believe, early on was like, why would someone hand me a loaded gun, right? right. Didn't he say that? Yeah. yeah. And now, yeah. He's, now, now he's trying to say, well, and I didn't pull the trigger. Right, right then there's someone, an eyewitness, say, we watched him load it? Yeah. In, that, in his report, he did. Yeah, that's yeah. why I asked him. Yeah. And then, the, to me, the clip on the MSNBC, the guy says, we're, getting, we're approaching the idea here that this is almost nearly like statistically impossible yep. for the type of guns. That's why I thought was brilliant about your piece was the fact to think through what kind of guns would be used in a movie like this, at this style, in this, in this yeah. time frame. It's not a Sig Sauer. No. No, it's that. And it, there's a special way that th there's things that have to happen for that to, to go off, you would think. And like just, he says. Just think about the millions of shots on sets throughout movie history. You know, they have this down. You know what I mean? Gun safety is always an issue. I mean, we even saw uh, the ultra-liberal, you know, self-righteous George Clooney chiming in. And now I, I believe that Alec Baldwin has been sending his barbs back. So, you know, a lot of actors are coming out saying really eating their own right rick yeah they're saying i've never even ever considered pointing a gun at somebody right you know so what was he doing mm. well we'll yeah. see we'll see uh all right so we have news coming up on the obviously the jobs numbers today which when i saw the jobs numbers come out you know obviously they're half of what was the estimate
this is Biden's economy, half than half of what was they forecasted about a half a million jobs added back, non-farm payroll. Well, they got about half of that. It was 200 and something. And so we have Biden's response to that. Only, only he could come up with this response to these numbers. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll deal with a little bit of that. And um, Kamala Harris was asked about her staff departures. Do we have time for this one, G, before we hit the commercial break? Oh, yeah, it's only 37 seconds. Let's roll the vice president here. Let's hear this. I love Simone. I love Simone. And, I'm, and I can't wait to see what she will do next. And I know that it's been, a, you know, it's been three years of a lot of jumping on and off planes and going around the country. And she works very hard. And I can't wait to see what she'll do next. And, and I mean that sincerely. There's obviously others as well. Do you feel like you're in the middle of a staff shakeup? And is this, do you see this as a reset to your office? Well, I've told you how I feel about yeah. Simone. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> you know, let's try to get her out of there. You see the hand? Okay, we got it. We, we, we got to go. We I'll can't be answering questions like this. <laughs> Big vaudeville hook. Studio 6B on a Friday night. Well, let me talk to you about Birch Gold Group. You know, I saw Tom Cotton had a um, commentary in the Wall Street Journal on Fed Chairman Jerome Powell saying, no, he shouldn't be reappointed. This is one of the reasons they've misread inflation so bad. Inflation continues to rise. Value of your dollar continues to go down. We've talked about this on this show for, for a very long time. Once inflation's out of the bottle... It's extremely hard to put it back. So you're considering your financial alternatives right now. How do you protect your money? You shouldn't be punished for saving your entire life. Your paper money is becoming worthless with the devaluation of the dollar. How do you protect your hard-earned savings? Well, one of your options is to consider physical gold and silver. And the folks to talk to about that are Birch Gold Group. Birch Gold are experts in precious metals. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. More importantly, they have options is what you need. You can buy gold coins. You can convert an existing IRA into a gold IRA. You can even convert an eligible 401k account into a gold IRA account. Here's how you get started. So listen up. Take your mobile device out right now and text America to 989898 and get your free information kit with no obligations, no obligations at all. Text America to 989898. They'll show you how to protect your gold and silver investments in a tax-sheltered account. Get the facts and get started today. You have nothing to lose. Text America to 989898 and get your free information kit from Birch Gold. They've made it super easy. Just text America to 989898 for your free information kit and learn how owning gold and silver could help protect your savings. All right, live from Studio 6B, it's time to do sports and it's time for the odds makers. 
College football edition in here with that is the star of the odds makers, and that would be at Slick Rick uh, Sports on Twitter. Rick Amorati, what's going on, pal? All right, Big D. Well, we're going to have to go. We have to up the ante a little bit because we are getting down to the end of the season here. Uh, before we get to the national championship, of course, we walked that down in January. But let's talk about the Big 12 championship game. Number nine, Baylor at uh, number five, Oklahoma State. That's on ABC tomorrow at noon. I'm going to ride with Oklahoma State. I've picked all favorites. I just can't stay away from the favorites. I <laughs> Oklahoma got five State and a half point. Oklahoma State's minus six, and the total and is 47 and a half. Okay, so on I'm a gonna, neutral field, by the way, neutral field. Right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. T- I'm gonna take the Cowboys. I love the Cowboys. I'm gonna take them laying six. Okay. Okay. And we're gonna put five thousand on these games for college. College is my strength. Whoa. NFL. We're gonna go a little lighter, a little more conservative. But let's go five because we're getting down to the Oof. end. We're not gonna have a lot of college okay. left. Wow. So we're gonna go five on that game like we did okay. last night. Minus, Oklahoma minus Oklahoma State minus six. I got Baylor plus six. All right. I had minus five and a half, but we'll go with your six. I'll go with your book. Um. And then we have a good one the sec sec championship number one georgia the dogs six and a half point uh underdogs uh taking on number three alabama no they're, they're the favorite they're the, fa- they're the favorite right the dog yeah the dogs alabama's the under right i'm gonna take georgia minus six and a half okay i'll take alabama plus six and a half in the sec championship game all right what's it. game number three and then we're gonna go with the big 10 championship gotta go with michigan we love the great state of iowa but not here because iowa has killed me this year at Iowa guys so i'm gonna go with Michigan, but they're laying 11, I got. What do you have? Yep, 11 is the number. Yeah, it's a kind of a big number. I'm not too crazy about it, but I'm going to go with that. And one more, we're going to go one more game, the AAC Championship, and that's number 21, Houston, and number four, Cincinnati. The Bearcats have been treating me good all year. Ten and a half. That's correct. I got them laying ten and a half, and I'm going to go with the Bearcats. And those are my four picks. Oklahoma State laying six. Georgia laying six and a half. Cincinnati laying 10 and a half. And last but not least, Michigan laying 11. Those are my four, five Gs each. We've got 20 grand on the line. Big money. I got check my holiday bonus and I can cover it if I have to. And that's okay. my numbers there. Okay, very good. So good, good picks. Laying the wood once again. Rick Emirati, the favorite player that he yeah. is. Paul, yeah. what are you doing, Paul? I'll take Iowa plus 11. Yeah, uh, Alabama. Yeah, you know, Alabama. Yeah, I don't care what the line is. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, that Alabama game makes me nervous, but I, I think the dogs are on a mission this year. I well, do. They're, they're the first football team since 1979 to hold every single team they've played under 17 points. If they do that again... Well, you'd think they would have a chance to win and win by at least seven. Even if it's at the last minute. This game could be tied to the last possession and you could still win. Yep. With that touchdown, because it's under a touchdown, six and a half. So yep. when was the last spot. time we saw the Alabama Crimson tied as an underdog? Yeah. Oh, Ninety two games ago. No, hundred and fifty three games ago. Ninety two games. Hundred no, and fifty three games ago. Two thousand fifteen. They were an underdog to Georgia. Yep. One point underdog, they won thirty eight to ten. Oof. We do two hours a week on sports radio. Don't don't question us. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got to pull my report from last night. Okay. Yes. You're right. Yeah, so. All right. All right. Well, so there you go. There's your college pick. So we'll we'll keep track. G's uh, going to be busy on Monday morning trying to recap what we did here. Yes. And you you could be very well in the lead come Monday. I could, or I could be uh, birdless. And one I could or the be other. sweating. <laughs> I could start sweating over here as yeah. we get into the end of the football season. So they, they, you'll have a uh, you'll have a hot tub next year picture, Rick. Yeah, hopefully. could be. 
All right, let's do some news and hear what that's uh, Paul Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan? A little bit from the uh, Maxwell trial here. A photo of Jeffrey Epstein's underage goddaughter sitting on his lap while, while it appears to be pulling her underwear and biting her bottom has been allowed into evidence. The judge in uh, the Maxwell sex trial ruled Friday that that photo, along with other evidence, will be admitted into evidence uh, for when they are raised by a witness. The prosecution says Epstein uh, kept the photo on his desk. And uh, they also um, had uh, evidence of pictures of little, very small um, schoolgirl outfits uh, were found in the massage room and other places in the house. And those will be uh, allowed as evidence as well. And uh, this uh, was found in the mansion in New York City. And it was found, I believe, in the ranch. So there's a lot going on here. Um, and uh, some of the things that went on is I'm going to try to keep this so we don't do too much on this for the sake of the network. But when um, one of the victims who was on the stand as Jane was questioned by the lawyers, they asked, so you remember year, two years later now that Ghislaine would call you at your home? And uh, that was mismanager, the uh, prosecuting attorney. The uh, I'm sorry, the defense attorney said, uh, and Jade replied, I'm sorry, but uh, memory is not linear. Kind of gave her a zing back to a big hush over the uh, audience that was in there. The people were there. So I wish they would show some of this stuff because I really think this holds way more um, clout than people realize. And uh, I think uh, I think it's so reprehensible in these unspeakable things that happen to these children and how this is not the biggest story and the biggest scandal in American history still it's heartbreaking to me. So I will touch on it, but I also will not try to upset. Really uh, Rick, did you face. get the email I forwarded you last night from the viewer? Yes. Okay. And anything did you and dig that in was yet? a uh, definitely down a rabbit hole of stuff. Okay. Um, very interesting. Okay. Um, and do you still hold to your uh, prediction that she's going to walk? I think she has a potential to walk. You think she's above the law? I think she's very well protected. And connected to the Clintons and the Comeys. I think it's connected higher than that. Oh, oh, no, that's where I was going, right? It goes to the international banking league. It goes to international corporate monsters who are just so much more wealthy, you'll never even see them on a Forbes list, that type. So you agree with him? I think she is... I think she's so insulated and so above the law. I'm I'm so afraid. I I don't know how they're going to get out of this situation I, I really don't but i i just don't believe i just think she's above the law i think these people have two sets of rules and, I, and it's scary to me that's why i don't know how far i can go reading these the news here so i get nervous because i don't want to upset the apple cart with the you know with real america's voice by talking about this because no mainstream newsmax right. nobody's talking about this yeah. so i don't want to push too far because there's so much here and I, for the respect of you damon and the well, show i'm just asking your personal opinion that's all yeah you, well you can I, give me that i i think uh he thinks she has a good chance to walk i didn't know what you thought because I, I i wondered i, I all honestly week if don't know she would have been I'm better afraid. taking a deal in name and names or something, but, but she hasn't they, done that. But did they ever offer her a, a, a deal? Yeah, we don't even know. All right, live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. We'll get into Biden and the jobs numbers. Crazy town all coming up. Pro picks at the end of the show.
live from Studio 6B on a Friday. Night glad you're in. So I want to bring your attention to one one article that I read. I thought it was excellent in the American Spectator because we're losing, we're focused, rightly so, on a lot of stuff going on inside the country. Corona, Omicron, moronic variant, all of this stuff. Uh, in the meantime, we, we may be losing sight of what's going on on the macro level, on the geopolitical side, with our uh, the enemies around the world who'd like to destroy us. Although we're doing a pretty good job of doing that from within. But let me just remind you, uh, the American Spectator had a piece, the Biden administration is losing ground to China. It is ill-equipped to handle China's improvements in hypersonic missiles. This is written uh, by Stephen Postel in the American Spectator. He says, at first glance, it might appear that the U.S. may be starting to score some small wins in its China policy. Last week, five members of Congress visited Taiwan's president in a show of support. The Biden administration convinced the United Arab Emirates to halt construction of a Chinese military port in Abu Dhabi. And the Federal uh, Communications Commission revoked China Telecom, America's telecom service authority. But on China, the Biden administration misses the forest for the trees. While the U.S. National Counterintelligence and Security Center issued a warning to U.S. businesses recognizing that China uh, seeks to steal U.S. technology, the report did not recommend economic decoupling with China. More disturbingly, recent developments show that the Biden administration is completely ill-equipped to address increased Chinese incursions and capabilities against Taiwan and China's recent game-changing improvements in its hypersonic missiles and nuclear weapons. The Biden administration continues to lack a policy to address China's gray zone warfare against Taiwan. On Sunday, China sent 27 planes into uh, Taiwan's air defense um, identification zone. China has been increasingly deploying this tactic since September of 2020, with the incursions increasing in frequency and intensity. In response to China's invasion of Taiwan uh, airspace and the growing North Korea threat, Japan has increased its military budget by $6.75 billion. Uh, Japanese foreign minister stated Japan would, quote, weigh the various possible scenarios that may arise to consider what options we have as well as the preparations we must make. Analysts believe this marks a much more active, vocal role for Japan in defending Taiwan. But Japan lacks support from the United States as the Biden administration has been waffling, their word, on developing its own coherent policy towards Taiwan's defense. Experts have become increasingly dire about the feasibility of China invading Taiwan, especially starting in 2024. A recent report issued by the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission stated that China currently has the capability to successfully establish an initial landing force of 25,000 or more troops. The director of uh, Taiwan's National Security Bureau, uh, Bureau claimed recently that according to his intelligence, China considered attacking Taiwan's Prada Island, but ultimately decided not to go forward with the idea until at least 2024. But China's likelihood of success in invading that small island is extremely high. While a small contingent of Taiwanese troops is reported to be stationed there, the island is almost impossible to defend given that it is so small and so flat. 
Uh, National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien also predicted that it is unlikely China would attack Taiwan before the Beijing Olympic Games. Army General Mark Milley said earlier this month that China was clearly and unambiguously developing a capability to invade Taiwan, while also stating that, quote, I don't think it's likely in the near future, being defined as 6, 12, maybe 24 months, that kind of a window, he said. In March, Admiral Phil Davidson, head of the U.S. uh, Pacific Command, said that China could invade Taiwan in the next six years. And then he goes into understanding China's hypersonic missiles and nuclear threat that they pose to the American defense establishment, who says, uh, he says, also appears to have grossly underestimated China's nuclear weapons potential. Department of Defense report raised, uh, released in November indicates that China seeks to have 1,000 nuclear warheads by 2030, which far overshoots Department of Defense estimates from last year. As the Biden administration scores incremental wins against China and secures a joint policy to combat climate change with the country, they seem to be more focused on that than the fact that it's fast losing ground to China in the bigger picture uh, regarding Taiwan and game-changing weapons. A durable, effective policy against the CCP can only come from tackling these larger issues. So... I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that I keep telling you there's all the wrong people in place in this administration to deal with this. And now you're starting to get just little senses of what's going on. And we're so wrapped up in this country right now in COVID and Fauci and internal strife and the two parties and election midterms coming up and everything else that's wrong that this administration touches that turns to you know what. You know, you know, remember when Trump was in office, how much we saw of, of obviously all the North Korea talk, we saw all the travel he did, we saw, you almost forget that there's, that there's problems, <laughs> we have problems outside of our own problems in, inside. Exactly. You mean like turning over Afghanistan, basically rolling over and giving them the whole South Pacific and the Silk Road, yeah, one belt, you know, one road initiative, it's, it's. It's such everything is so tied in globally, and when people say, "Oh, governments are too stupid; they can't organize," I, people in my office can't organize a lunch order. Yeah, that's why you guys are working, you know, on some dead end side street. I don't want to hear it. These think tanks hire the smartest people in the world. They know they 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 have they run scenarios with quantum with quantum computing for every possible scenario. To act like these people in in the highest levels of you know of of, of finance. Don't foresee what's going to happen and then don't shape policy through news stories, through agreements at like trilateral commission and the, you know, and the Bilderberg meetings and Davos and the World Economic Forum. It's laughable. It's laughable to act as if these people with billions and trillions of dollars at stake in control are just winging it. They don't have a synergistic connection with one another. It's, it's beyond it's beyond silly to me. I, I just can't believe how naive people really are when it comes to the global finance I, I, it, it's shocking to me everything's conspiracy theory because they don't understand it just good business that well speaking of good business how about this the biden economy misses expectations on november <laughs> job creation by a wide mark the labor department on friday reported the u.s economy in november created two hundred and ten thousand jobs falling significantly short of the projected gain of 
550,000 jobs and the Dow Jones estimate of 573,000 new non-farm payroll jobs. Unemployment did drop from 4.2 uh, uh, from 4.6, um, but no, you know, none of this is good news. And 42 G CNBC, the jobs numbers were reported this morning. Here's what it looked like. There, roll that. Our November uh, jobs report is coming out. 210. Thousand on non-farm payrolls, huh? a huge miss. Two hundred and thirty-five thousand on private payrolls, and if we look at what's going on with regard to the change in manufacturing, thirty-one thousand. That's also a bit of a miss. Yeah, it was a huge miss. Now there are some who will say the one thing this does show uh, is that we are no way overheated here in this um, economy which the Federal Reserve, after saying we're going to taper, 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 no more money printing, you would think has to look at this report and think that if he gets another one of these, that could uh, fire up the money printer one more time, which is why I keep telling you, inflation is the story of 2022. I know people are talking, people who, by the way, are way smarter than me on this, but I, I just, you just are not going to convince me that you can print all this money and this not have long-term effects. It just you're not going to convince me of it. And there are some who say, "Well, middle of next year we'll be talking about deflation and prices coming down." Well, not with reports like this, you're not, because if you get more of these, uh, the money printer is going to go burr one more time. Right. And what about another variant? What about something, another black swan event, and then the com- you know the country will be on its knees. If they, if they freeze the economy again, what happens then? Uh, 43G, here's how CNN reported on the, on the job numbers. Roll that. You look at the jobs and how it is here. September and October were both revised higher, remember? But then this disappointment in November. And I look through these numbers, John, and I see a lot of customer-facing jobs had very little job growth, if at all. So customer-facing jobs, that could be that it's not the job problem, it's the worker problem. Workers aren't going back to those customer-facing jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen Psaki was out and about this morning as the jobs number hit at 8.30. She was on MSNBC. Let's see what she thought of this in our LOL video of the day. Roll that. <laughs> this is a good one. Jobs number just crossed. 210 jobs just added. So... 210,000. Um, uh, so if we look at that breaking news right now, us, that's Jen. a number that feels a little, what, a little off? Well, I, I know this sounds a little archaic, but I can't comment on them until 930 uh, okay. by, by rules because that I work okay. at the White House. <laughs> yeah, but I will say uh, what people can expect the president to continue to say today, month to month, <laughs> is that what we're seeing are good trends that we are continuing to put people back to work, that we are continuing to see uh, participation in the workforce, that we are continuing to see the unemployment rate go down. But there's more we need to do to address core problems that have existed long before the pandemic. Because, Adrian, there's the supply chain. There's this number, um, which she can't comment on for an hour, so we'll keep her here. It's it's Um, a little crazy. I'm not leaving. Here we are. Who's ever heard of such a thing? (laughs) I can't comment on it because it's not 9.30 yet. The number hit at 8.30. (laughs) (laughs) you know it's it's like it's like we keep saying it's like if virginia didn't happen none of the the polls don't mean any they they just don't see anything (laughs) everything's good no matter good is good is good even if it's bad 
Was the Pelosi clip the LOL of the day <laughs> yesterday? It, I missed? it was. G, do we have the LOL from yesterday? All right, Gio's going to find it because he has a second. So, Paul, here, here it is. So, this is what happens when you wake up, you look at your face melting off your, you know, off your head, and you think, let me go get some, let me go get, I got to get some, you know, Spackle, boom, 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 couple. Botox. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and they give you a little too much at one time, and it all travels to the brain. Here's what happens. Roll that. It's a stronger bill. Uh, than the uh, the it is it's a bill that we could have freestanding or a bill that is in the Eagle Act that is part of the um, the um, uh, Mr. The Foreign Affairs Committee, Mr. Kendrick Meeks, no, <laughs> Gregory Meeks, Bill Kendrick. We, we're all uh, we're all very sad about losing Carrie Meek this this week. So uh, I referenced her son, but the chairman. Uh, Meeks bill in the um, in the house, so we will have that. But you see, in a, def- a defense in a bill, whether it's in the week, whatever that thing's called that they have in the Senate, or in a DOD bill, the Senate does not have the right to have a revenue or an appropriations matter. Okay. okay. What? What was that? <laughs> okay. Just like pop, that pop. Wasn't that wasn't what even is that crazy town <laughs> you got rolled it? into what? You understand what she said? Of course. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you follow. <laughs> she All right, crazy it? town coming up when we get back. Wrap it up on a Friday night. Drinking at lunch with Jim Cramer. <laughs> follow the yeah, four martini lunch. <laughs> to the hour live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. Glad you're in. First of all, I want to congratulate everybody who took a part in our one-day sale yesterday. Get your uh, Let's Go Brand t-shirts ready for the holidays. So nice. congratulations on taking advantage of that. And I also want to remind you, visit our friend Mike Lindell. MyPillow.com slash LFS6B. I just went there today to look up uh, the deals. They keep changing the deals. There's great stuff. 40% off slippers, 50% off the mattress topper. Uh, the six-piece MyPillow towel set Used to be one hundred nine ninety nine, and these these towels, by the way, are oversized, fluffy, thick. They are so good. Uh, how about six pieces for thirty nine ninety nine today? Wow, thirty nine ninety nine. Are they absorbent? Uh, they are, as you've seen in the commercial that Mister uh, Lindell's been running on our a live stream. Uh, MyPillow.com slash LFS6B. Take advantage of um, those great deals from our friend Mike Lindell. Support him. Support the show. MyPillow.com slash LFS6B. It's time for the Odds Makers Pro Football Edition. Take it away, Mr. Amorati. What are we doing here? And I'm back just when you thought I should throw in those towels. I did not. I am back, and I won last <laughs> night, so we're on a roll. And just a disclaimer here. Paul and uh, Rick's verdict on Jelaine Maxwell, their pick, is not going to be tied into any money that I'm going to be betting with you because okay. I already lost three grand on Paul's pick down in Whoa. Virginia, so we're not going to have that. Come on now. Don't matter. 2500 <laughs> No, 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 no. Don't exaggerate. <laughs> no, I don't want to have that. Okay, 2500 All right, let's go to the picks. Big D. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go 1, 1 p.m. on CBS. we got the Chargers visiting the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going to take – I'm going favorites. I'm taking the Bengals. I got them laying three. 
Three is the number. Okay. Okay. Also, one o'clock on Fox, the Giants and Dolphins just got word that that line went up three points because Danny Dimes is not going to be playing for the Giants. He's out with a neck injury. I'm still taking the Dolphins in Miami. They're on a roll. I'm going to take them laying now six points. Six, yep, against Mike Glennon and the Giants. Okay. Yes, sir. And then we got the Washington football team going to Vegas to take on the Raiders, 405. Uh, I want to take the Raiders, and I'm going to lay the one point is what I have on One and a half. One and a half. Yep. Got to win by two. Okay. All right. One and a half it is. Okay. So you're going to take the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay. And then last but not least, uh, I'm going to roll with this one as well. Jaguars are visiting the Rams. Rams are overdue. They're a very ornery team. I know Odell Beckham's on the fence. Whether he's going to play or not doesn't matter. I'm going to take the Rams laying 13, just under two touchdowns. Uh, there, 13 is the number. I do see a 12 and a half. So to be fair, if I'm going to be extra fair, I don't really need to do this, but there is a 12 and a half up there. So I'll give you the 12 and a half. Okay. We'll take the 12 and a half. And like I said, we'll go with the, uh, one because and they half probably the will lose the entire game, but, uh, I'll give you the 12 and a half anyways. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think the Rams are going to win this one. They're overdue. I think okay. staff, I think they're going to run the ball. Staff is not going to be throwing to the wrong sure. guy. Yeah. I think they're in good shape. Gotcha. What do you like on the Monday night game? Ah, uh, the Monday night game. Uh, New England Buffalo. It's the best game of the week. I know. I'm le- I'm leaning towards New England, but I'm seeing a lot of people are taking Buffalo. It's going to be a great game. I'm probably going to go with the Patriots, Paul. Okay. Well, we can we can figure that out on Monday night when we get back. But uh, so those are your four. And what are you doing on these? Uh, well, uh, I'm not as confident with the NFL picks. Um, I'm going to go 2,000 on each. Okay. We still got good money on this. There's 28,000 on the line this week. All right. Very good. Biggest weekend of the year. So we'll see what happens. And I could be in, I could be in rough shape come Monday morning. Yeah. Or I could be. Or you could be. (laughs) Or we could be flat. You never know. Could just go split. So, all right. Very good. Rick, anything else in sports you want to touch on? Uh, you know what? Just real quick, Oklahoma's going to pay Bob Stoops $325,000 to coach through the bowl, the bowl game, which is probably going to take place on December 29th. They're likely going to be in the Alamo Bowl, and that's a pretty good payday for uh, good old Bob Stoops. They've been trying to get him to come back now that Lincoln Riley has obviously departed for the uh, greener pastures out at USC, but uh, Stoops is going to come back and help the team get through. He was making $5 million per year when he left in 2016, but at this one here, you know, he's making uh, about ten grand a day, so Bob Bob Stoops back to coach Oklahoma, and uh, I thought that was pretty cool. That was from Larry Brown Sports, Steve Del Vecchio. All right, very good. Uh, thanks, Scott. Uh, thanks, Rick, for sports. We'll uh, reconvene on Monday and see where we're at. Crazy Town time, G. Biden's got a cold. Roll it, G. Today's historic drop in unemployment rate includes oh dramatic improvements <laughs> for workers who have often seen higher wages and higher levels of unemployment. Excuse me, higher levels of unemployment. They are receiving higher wages. Americans, on average, have more in their pockets today than they did each each month since we've been in office. In the first 10 full months of my administration, the economy has created 6 million jobs, a record for a new president. I was thrilled to see that yesterday we had more vaccine shots administered than any day in the past six months. We're launching hundreds of new family vaccination clinics to make it easier for children, (laughs) parents, the whole family to get vaccinated in one place and new policies to keep children in school instead of guaranteeing them at home when someone in the class comes down with COVID, if they do. So if you have insurance, you're going to, it will cover these, these uh, tests. And if you don't have insurance, we have facilities you can attend and get these tests. 
accelerate fifth we're accelerating our, our efforts to vaccinate <laughs> nope, the rest of the world and strengthening international <laughs> travel rules. This is a plan all Americans can r- rally behind, exactly. in my view. As the world economy continues to come back to life, what happened to David? The more the more price pressures are going to ease as things begin to move. Yeah, baby. And China, China may very do well, do do more as well. They haven't done it yet. I mean, At this time. Yeah of the year. Another concern facing American families is about being able to find what you need in the holidays, whether it's gifts or groceries. As I said earlier in the week, (laughs) because of my actions, the actions of my administration has taken, in partnership with (laughs) with private business and labor, retailers and grocery stores, freight movers and railroads, these shelves are going to be, the shelves of our stores are going to be well stocked. <laughs> now, I said that yesterday, and then I saw a couple of your stations put on, you found some empty shelves. <laughs> They're old empty shelves, but it doesn't matter. But go back and take a look at some of those shelves again, okay? I think he's but a lot more likable the, the, the point is, yeah, me too. the vast majority of the shelves are filled and I'd like to hear him whisper. the CEOs of not only <laughs> no, they'll, they'll cover the, the, mic the, in green the suppliers, <laughs> but it's the CEOs of UPS and FedEx, which are on track to deliver more packages than ever, are saying the same thing. And two of the leading rating agencies, not, not you know, liberal think tanks, two of the leading rating agencies on Wall Street confirmed this month that my plan will not add to inflationary pressures. One of the things I'm considering is how can we help them deal with the issue of uh, the, as I said to you before, when the biggest challenge we had in the beginning of this administration, in my view, was not getting the vaccines oh produced, although that <laughs> was not easy. And I've got to give, you know, you didn't President do it. Trump early on went out and tried to got them to do the research to try to get the right vaccines. Getting the vaccine from a container that gets delivered to you, to a hospital, to a state, to a and getting in someone's arms, that's a very, very difficult thing. And we did it better than anybody in the world. Your voice sounds a little different. Are you okay? I'm okay. I have a test every day to see a COVID test. I have a checking for all the strains. What I have is a one and a half year old grandson who had a cold who likes to kiss his pop. <laughs> and he'd been kissing in my anyway, so uh, it's just a cold. Oh, oh, that last part. Well, Jen Psaki went on to do the press briefing later on in the day after he said that, and she was asked specifically, and uh, she said, well, no, he misspoke. He doesn't get tested every day. So, see, Jen, Jen Psaki is actually in touch with the people who are actually running the government, and he's not included <laughs> in that group. So maybe he doesn't realize it, but he does not get tested every day. Well, yeah. it's good to hear that it's just a cold, but his yeah, voice does right. sound... It sounds like uh, me after a weekend of whiskey and cigars. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, a long-distance request from Susie. (laughs) It sounds like I mean, man. Hey, hey, Joe, say keep your feet on the ground and keep your (laughs) (laughs) ankles just above them. Go ahead. (laughs) Keep your feet on the ground. (laughs) This is Casey Casey. All right. All right, as always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines protecting us. Thanks, guys, on this show for a great week. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran, as always. Thanks to Real America's Voice for the opportunity, as always. But most of all, thank you 
the Live from Studio 6B audience, the best audience in television. We love you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday night right here live from Studio 6B.